0: Welcome back, this is episode 3 of Aria's Joy and up to this point, I've made a concerted effort to not edit or script this podcast as it's promised to be real and authentic and today I was tempted to jot some things down before I set to do this recording. But, in the hours and moments since, I've decided to not script it, stay true to what I said it would be, and just tell a story. So, this week, I want to speak first on the faith crisis attached to grief and loss, specifically the loss of a child. So, earlier today... I was thinking about this recording, and I was brought back to a moment in the hospital with my father when the attending physician came in to tell me what I already knew, that my little girl had passed away. And at that point, I was incoherent, and any and everything that I said, thought, or felt at that point was going to be either really angry, emotional, or all-out gibberish. And I have to say that it was all three. My reaction came out as all three. I very distinctly remember saying aloud, I never want to hear anything else about God. I don't want him to talk to me. I don't want him to show me. I don't want anything to do with him because this makes absolutely no sense. And my father, in his wisdom... He coached me away from that. Don't think that way. Don't say that. I didn't want to hear it. Very rarely have I directly disagreed with my father. Because I look up to him a great deal. So to directly challenge or disagree with him in that way was something very unnerving even for me thinking back on that time. At the moment... It felt like what was just pouring from my heart, not an effort to challenge him, but to thumb my nose in a way at my heavenly father, the father that I've put so much stock in over the years. Even when my earthly father has disappointed me, I had come to a point where reliance on my heavenly father was my first response to trouble rather than my second, third, or last. But at this point I was beyond prayer. I was beyond spiritual guidance. I was beyond anything at that point. Absolutely anything. Didn't want to hear it. I think back to the ride from my home to the hospital where Even during this time, I knew that my daughter was deceased. And my mother prayed aloud in the car. And all I could think was, why are you praying? Why are you saying these things? She's already gone. There are no miracles to be had. There are no changes to be made. Why are you thanking and praising a God that has allowed for one, your child to be so hurt, and two, to take your only granddaughter from this world before she even had a chance to live. My attitude was cynical and just hateful in a way that I can't say that I've ever felt that amount of hate for anything before. I didn't hate her. I hated the idea of praying and praising that God that she ushered in the spirit with her prayers. Though I knew they were falling on deaf ears. I think back to the times before she came when I would pray for her life and the life that she would have and that she would never experience the pain of losing me when she came and I started to experience life with her I prayed that I would never feel the pain of losing her it seems like he heard one prayer and ignored another it serves no one to try to understand the ways and the whims of God But a consequence of the human condition is still an effort to explain the unexplainable, to understand things that are not meant to be understood. It's in our nature. As much as it harms us, it is truly in our nature to be inquisitive, to make sense of the unsensible If we can make sense of something, then we can acclimate those ideas to logic and reason. And our little hearts, for some reason, are consoled by the injection of logic and reason and understanding. Like, if there was a reason that we could know that she was taken away, then that would somehow make it easier to deal with. Not true. At least not for me. For some... It was, hey, she had COVID. She passed away. In a way, that's okay. But as her mother, the person that carried her for 37 whole weeks, 36 hours of labor, and then a C-section, that wasn't enough. It didn't nullify any of the time That we spent bonding in and out of the womb. It didn't heal my heart. The logic of understanding that this is a disease that no one knew anything about. And everyone was getting it and people were dying. My child in my mind was not another statistic. She was not intended to be another casualty of COVID-19. And yet she was. And yet that fact has done nothing to calm my spirit. So in the months that passed, it seemed like there was one bad thing after another. The loss of my relationship with her father, I thought, would break my entire spirit. Because it wasn't just losing her. It was losing my little family. It was losing the idea of a future of more children of a happiness that I had not previously experienced. This child's father made me do things that I would not have otherwise done. I was known historically for marathon sleep sessions, 10, 12, 14 hours of sleep. Needless to say, that was a symptom of my depression showing itself. That doesn't mean I didn't sleep and sleep well and sleep long, though it was unhealthy. So when I met him, there wasn't the option of, hey, you're going to marathon sleep from Friday to Sunday. It's all good. No, no, that wasn't the case. There were movies and dinners and skating rinks and trampoline parks and broken toes and kayaking with alligators and all types of things that I wouldn't have tried on my own. Getting me out of the house, getting me to let go of my sleep habits was a major win for him and for me. Because no one else prior to that time had been able to motivate me enough after working all week, hearing other people's issues all week, solving other people's problems all week. On the weekend, I just wanted to be silent, sleeping, barely conscious. But that wasn't sufficient for him. Not only because he wanted to be around me, but he had a child. He has a son. And it would be unfair for him to want to spend time with me sleeping, And have to spend time with his son as well. It's not his fault that I like to marathon sleep. So if I want to be around, I better get in where I fit in. And it was helpful and healthy. I thrived in ways that I didn't think possible up until that point. So in the days and weeks that followed, losing him, losing my family... December the 3rd maybe 4 or 5 days before my birthday I can't remember what day exactly it was I was in an accident on the interstate it was a 3 car pile up caused by a law enforcement officer of all things and by that time I was just so disgusted and so fed up with life I didn't care about the car no I take that back I loved my car I did but What had me on the side of the road was not my car. What had me on the side of the road in tears was not the fact that my car was destroyed. It was just that moment where you look up to God and you say, what more? What more do you want? What more can I give? What more has to happen before you realize that you won? You've beat me. You destroyed me. And I have no choice but to do whatever it is you want me to do at this point. Because I am beaten. Well, the aunt of one of the drivers came over to me and noticed that I was crying and told me that it was okay. It was just a car. Everybody is good and they're safe. And I sat down and explained to her it's not the car, ma'am. I work every day, I'm employed. have good car insurance it's not the car it's just that I've had enough I've had enough and I hadn't had the time up until that point to just have a meltdown and sometimes I think that's what God needed me to do break down be broken And not try to be in the position of fixing things at that point. Because I was in the save my life mode. Save my career mode. Save my license mode. So I can continue to do work. But I wanted to save everything for the wrong reasons. I wanted to save everything because I have a fear of not being able to take care of myself. The fear of having to run home, be taken care of, not be able to move as I want to move, not being able to have the control of my circumstances the way that I like to have them. It's not because I'm so noble or because I wanted to help so much, at least not at that point. I didn't want to have to turn around and admit that after everything, I couldn't keep my child alive i can't even keep my license i can't even keep a job so i most likely can't take care of myself that's the truth that's the reality of the situation in my mind so for me to just hang it all up on the side of the road and decide to be broken right there and just be okay with being broken was the beginning of turning the page honestly It's not like things just changed in that moment. But they altered. I started seeing things differently. I moved back out of my parents' home. I reestablished my independence. I went back to work. I did everything that I was doing. Even on the days when I didn't feel it. Even after everything was settled with court and my license and my practice, I still went about doing everything. And then there was this day when I just stopped and realized everything's okay. I'm not fighting for my life anymore on any level. So now, I get to figure out how to live. How do I live not being a mom anymore? How do I live not being in any relationship anymore? How do I live within the four walls that I've created as my safe haven? How do I make these things work for me? How do I break out of a prison of my own creation? Those realities have brought me back to the questions of faith. Here and there, there will be moments when I find myself thinking I'm moving back in the right direction and I want to believe. Sometimes I think I treat God like a man that's broken my heart. Once you've broken my heart, I will shut down and be quiet and still. I won't speak, I won't move, I won't protest. If you've broken my heart to that level, the cold shoulder is the only side of me that you'll get. And that's really just a really bad defense mechanism. But we can't treat God like that. Because he doesn't treat us like that. And he's not a man. Not a human. That doesn't stop us humans from projecting human ideas and realities onto him. That doesn't make them... Any less of a true experience. They say that God sent Jesus because in a very late explanation, if he was to intercede for us, then he needed to have every consequence of the human experience. Every single one. Love, joy, grief, pain, hate even. He needed to have those experiences in order to run back to the father and say, hey, this creation that you've made is suffering every single day, every single day, every decision, even in times of happiness and joy. The suffering comes with trying to maintain that, figuring out How to hold on to what you've acquired without turning evil and hateful in the process. So Jesus comes and he experiences love and joy and friendship and family and love. He even experiences grief with the death of his friend Lazarus. And theologians suffer with this particular death because... We know the end of the story. But I think it's less about the end of the story and more about his experience as a human being. Someone you know, a best friend if you will, has just died. Period. In that moment. You don't know that you're God and you're going to bring him back to life and everything is great. You know that you can But you don't know that that's what's going to happen here. You don't have the luxury of knowing the story from the beginning. God does, but you don't. So he's standing there outside the tomb of Lazarus, and he speaks to him. Come out. And the people around him are looking at him like he's a star-graving lunatic. Why are you speaking to a dead man? Poor Martha, she's pissed with Jesus because she's like, dude, you should have been here. If you had, he wouldn't have died. Yeah, he would have, Martha. Sorry. He would have. Because it's less about the death and more about the point. Jesus needed an opportunity to feel real human grief. If only for a moment feel real grief and unless you've had that that stab in your chest and in your stomach and your back at the same time you can't relate to it and he needed to relate to every human emotion I've struggled with the idea that people have often said to me well God let his son die really for a whole three days and he knew that Jesus was coming back that's not a comfort it's not if I knew that if I let Aria close her eyes for three days she would come back I would be swinging from the rafters with joy that's not how it works that is not the human experience once you die you're gone what happens beyond that i don't know i just don't can't tell you but i do know that it's not a three-day experience unless you're not truly dead and you just kind of come up come, you know come back to life in a body bag which has happened but they weren't really dead I can't speak to it. I can say that the resurrection and following ascension is the cornerstone of our faith, of the Christian faith. But I can't get with the example that Jesus let God, I'm sorry, let his son die. When people say that to me, they, they sound so self-righteous and like, that is a great example, yeah. It's a great three-day example. But unless you've laid your child in the ground, you'll never understand how seriously stupid that example really is. Don't misunderstand. I'm no atheist. I'm no agnostic. I'm 150% Christian. I'm trying to reconcile a relationship That's fallen apart along with my life. And I want it back. Just like many of the relationships in my life that have fallen apart. I want them back. But in order to get them back, I have to give them an honest look. Not just the beautiful prayers and praises that sound good. I have to look at what I really feel. What I really think. He doesn't necessarily have to care about those things because he's God. But I have to make it make sense in my human brain and in my human heart. I have to have some logic and reason to believe the unbelievable, to experience faith once more. We've come to the end of another session together. I hope that you'll stay tuned. So much more of this story to be told. See you soon. Bye.